Good morning. As many of you are aware, uh, Mark's dad has been very ill this past week, and so Mark has been ministering to him. And Lord permitting, uh, Mark will be bringing us the lesson next week, that look forward lesson as we move into the new year. If you'd like to follow along, please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Let's begin by going to our Father in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for granting us time in this new year. Thank you for granting us resources for living, Father. And most of all, thank you for sending your Son and what he has made possible for us. Father, as we move into this new year, we want to live for you. Use us to fulfill the godly purposes that you have for us. And so, Father, we, we pray for eyes that can see and ears that are open to your word so that you can be at work in our lives shaping us and molding us according to your will and purposes. And Father, we acknowledge that we're dependent on your grace. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Whether you're a young person, a late teen, an adult, this morning's lesson is a message that is relevant to your life. And that's true whether you're a believer, someone who has already committed your life to Christ, or someone who has not yet taken that step. Many years ago, when I was a college student, I did a mission internship in Scotland. And during the summer months in Scotland, a, a pottery shop in the town where I was staying went out of business. I heard about the sale, this going out of business sale that this pottery shop was having. And so I scurried over there to find what good deal <laughs> there might be. Something I could get at a good price. And I came away, among other things, with this little canister. Uh, during the decades since then, this little canister has served me well. Um, it proudly resides now in my office with some other Scottish pottery. My wife reminded me yesterday that it used to sit on our coffee table when we lived in Brazil. But you know, not all pottery is like this little piece of Scottish pottery. Through misuse, accidents, or a sundry other causes, pottery can become like these broken shards. Brittle pottery, it can be smashed into pieces, rendering it useless for the original purpose that it had. In some ways, Fired clay can be like the story of our lives. People can find themselves broken like one of these pieces of pottery. Incapable of fixing themselves, 
hopelessly insufficient to live up to the purpose that was originally given them by their Creator. And we can be like broken pieces of pottery, unable to hold water or to fill those original purposes God had for us. But the Apostle Paul wrote about a power, a power that God possesses and uses within human hearts to fix what is broken, creating, if you will, whole pottery that is capable to living up and fulfilling the divine purpose that God has for that life. And this morning, as we are looking at standing on this edge of a new year and moving into it, we're going to be looking at what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapters 1 and 2 about God's power for the believer and how this can answer some questions. God's power for the believer can answer the question, how can I live up to the potential God desires for me? How can I be like wonderful clay, a clay jar, capable of serving its purpose on this earth? A vision, if you will, the Apostle Paul in a Roman prison. He's dependent on his Christian friends to bring him food, to bring him clothing, to bring him whatever else he might need because the government's not going to provide it. And his Christian friends are, are also going to bring him news. They're going to bring him news about how the church is faring throughout the Mediterranean world. Some of those congregations he had planted himself. Other congregations he's never met, but he hears news about what is going on with the churches. Sometimes that news has, excite, has exciting message. It's, it's how God's kingdom is growing and, and God's people are living for him. And, and at other times, he hears about problems and situations that concern him. And from that prison... Paul will write four letters. He probably asked for some parchment paper and some papyrus paper and a pen. He had a, an amensis that is a, like a scribe and he spoke the words and this amanuensis wrote down what he would say and he writes the letter by Lehman and then Colossians Ephesians and Philippians. And as Paul is thinking about that church over in Ephesus and, and the things that he's heard and, and the message that it needs to hear, he wants that church to live up to being who God has called them to be. And in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, he puts it with these words. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthily of the calling with which you have been called. From this point on in the letter, Paul is going to get into the specifics, the practical, where he's headed, the message that he wants them to internalize, and how he wants them to live. But how do you get there? I mean, just to say to someone, do this... <laughs> They need a reason why. There's, there needs to be a foundation and understanding of, of why a person should do what you are calling them to do. 
What is there that can help people live up to that potential that God desires for them, to live up to the calling that God has given them? What can empower people to be like wonderful clay, jars capable of serving their purpose? The Apostle Paul had traveled wide and far. And he had obviously witnessed firsthand just about every type of broken life that there can be. And as he writes in this letter to the Ephesians, he unveils the answer. An answer on how people can live up to the calling that God has given them. And he starts this in that first chapter. We find part of this answer in the prayer that he offers in chapter 1. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you spiritual wisdom and revelation in your growing knowledge of Him. Since the eyes of your heart have been enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope of your calling, what is the wealth of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the incomparable greatness of His power toward us who believe as displayed in the exercise of his immense strength. There is a reason why Paul starts his prayer with, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you spiritual wisdom and revelation in your growing knowledge of him. Paul knew that for people to escape from merely being the shards of broken pottery and, and to rise above just living life as another human being in all the brokenness that we have, for them to be the people that God called them to be, to, to realize that potential, they would need to have an accurate knowledge of God. Knowing the truth about God helps us live for God. In fact, Paul's going to spend three chapters just basically talking about God. He's going to talk about God's plan. He's going to talk about what God is doing. He's going to talk how God is working. He's laying a foundation in three chapters all about God and things that are needed to be known, a foundation of who God is and what God has done before he lifts a finger to begin to provide the practical details about living the life that God calls Christians to live. You know, when we talk about speaking accurately about doctrines and things in the Bible, it's common today for preachers to point out that merely knowing what is true, merely getting it right, is not sufficient. That the message must be put into practice, and, and that is true. But please don't misunderstand. I'm not suggesting that if we only have accurate knowledge about God, that is sufficient. But what we do need is accurate knowledge. Today, society faces competing notions of spirituality, competing notions about who God is. And more than ever, an accurate understanding of God and how He is at work and what His plan is, not some distorted one, is needed so that God's people can live as God desires. 
And because of the importance of, of laying this foundation first, Paul prays for their growing knowledge of God. And if Paul, if that Paul, that, that prisoner for Jesus Christ, were to write us a letter, he would likewise pray for us, I want you to grow in your knowledge of God. What do people need to know about God that could so profoundly shape their lives? Well, he mentions three things in his prayer. He, he says, I want you to understand the hope of God's calling for you. I want you to know about the wealth of God's glorious inheritance for the saints. And I want you to know about the power of God for the believer. This morning, we're only going to be looking at that third item, the power of God for the believer. And here is how he put it, so that you may know what is the incomparable greatness of his power toward us who believe, as displayed in the exercise of his immense strength. Knowing what is God's power for the believer can have an impact on our life. You see, knowledge of where there is power at work changes how you live. This morning when I arose, it was still very, very dark. And I'm sure my wife is very pleased that I did not run over and flip on the bedroom light. Um, I, I went to the closet, and, and on the wall by the closet there's this, this little switch, and I threw that, and, and that lit the closet so I could see, and, and I didn't make a racket as I, as I pulled clothes off of, off of the shelf there. But you see, I know. I know that there's electrical wiring throughout my house. I know where there are electrical switches. And because I know that power, that changes how I live. I can use that. I can tap that. I can flip that switch when I need it so that it helps me. And this is a silly statement, but, but to make the point very clear, just imagine for a, a moment if, if Christopher Columbus from the late 1490s was somehow grabbed and transported from that time period, and he woke up in my house in the dark. <laughs> and he wants to get up and move around. Well, he doesn't know anything about electricity. He doesn't know what those little switches on the wall are. He has power all around him, but because he doesn't know about it, he doesn't use any of it. It doesn't change how he lives. Knowing where there is power changes how you live. On a Sunday morning several years ago, I was driving down the road while it was still very dark. And suddenly this large buck with a full rack jumped out of the darkness foolishly right in front of my car on the left-hand side. It then somersaulted. It put its rack smack in the middle of my hood and vaulted off again into the darkness, never to be seen again. In an instant, I had lost my left front light. The left front end of my car was damaged, and the hood of my car had series of parallel gouges. I kind of interpreted each gouge as being one point. There's a lot of them. But you see, I know 
who wields the power in this situation. One phone call to my insurance agent and the repair process began. And now my car looks as good as new. You see, knowing who has the power and where the power is at helps you live. And it shapes the decisions and how you go about things. And for very good reason, Paul wants to lay this foundation about God and the power God has for the believer. And he wants us to know about God's power for us. Because realizing what that power is for us can make a difference in how we live our lives. Now before actually disclosing to his reader what that power of God is for the believer, he gives an illustration of it. He says, let me back you into this. Here's how he puts it. This power he exercised in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above every rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And God put all things under Christ's feet and he gave him to be the head, gave him to the church as head over all things. When someone is dead, truly dead, three days dead, there is no reviving them. I mean, what sort of power are we talking about here? We can have some sort of organism that's, that's alive and it dies. And when we let that process move on several days, and so while you still have organic material and, and there's still some organic information there, it's dead. And we don't have the power, even though we have organic materials, even though there's organic information, we don't have the power to bring that back to life. It's dead. And Paul says, God did. And the power that God exerts in taking just what is dead and making it alive, that's a power that he's also exerting in your life. But not only did God's power raise Christ up from the dead, but he also did other things that are in the spiritual realms. He exalted him above every single authority and power. There's nothing out there that has a higher status, position than Christ. No university, no idea, no, 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 no government, nothing. No, nothing seen or invisible that is higher than Christ, that ever will be. And God places him above everything, including the church. Jesus' resurrection, after he was raised from the dead, remember what he said? He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I'm over everything. That's who I am now. See, God's power makes alive what is dead. And it takes lives that are hopelessly shattered, and that's all of us, shards that are destroyed, and it can make us back into what is useful. If we take a step away from the lesson just for a second, I'd like to ask us a question. If we were to ask people who are living quiet, comfortable lives, 
what they think about Paul's lifestyle, what do you think they'd say? Let's remember who Paul is. Paul is this guy whose mouth gets him in trouble because he's talking about Jesus. Paul is this guy who puts himself in places where he gets beaten, where he gets stoned, and his body is so badly mangled that everyone thinks he's dead and they walk away. He's the guy who puts himself in places where he ends up getting shipwrecked. He gets thrown into prison multiple times. Now, when people look at the life of Paul, how are they going to think about this guy? Do you suppose they're going to say, I think he's just a little bit fanatical? I mean, what sort of life is that? Is Paul just a little bit fanatical in his faith? But is his lifestyle really so surprising? Paul had seen the risen Lord. He had been granted a glimpse into the third heaven. The things that he's writing about, that risen Lord, he has seen him. He's heard things that humans are not permitted to repeat. He knew the certainty of the dire consequences that awaits everyone who refuses Christ. He knew that what we tend to value so much becomes worthless after death as we face eternity. Without any shadow of a doubt, and although he initially wanted to deny it, Saul of Tarsus, who becomes the Apostle Paul, he knew God's power had raised Christ from the dead. And this was a cataclysmic game changer for his life. And so he lives a life that many would say, I think, is somewhat fanatical. But it's based on a foundation of knowing who God is. Would we be just a little bit more aggressive in living out our faith publicly? Would we be more willing to to stand up in 2013 (laughs) and let people know that we're Christians, that we have a Lord? If we had seen Christ raised from the dead, if we had heard Him speak to us, Would I be more bold for Christ? This power that Paul describes that God uses in the believer to infuse what is dead with life and to make whole what's been shattered. He goes on to describe. Paul knew that without God's intervention in our lives, we lie spiritually broken Shattered. Here's how Paul begins the story for those in Ephesus. And although you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you formerly lived according to this world's present path. Before Paul can start talking about the good news, about what God's power does in the life of the believer, he first is compelled to pull off any false idea, any, any false notions we might have about who we are before we come to Christ. The unvarnished truth is that until we have placed our trust in Christ, our lives are spiritually broken. And if Paul were alive today and could walk into one of our Barnes & Noble or other bookstores and, and see all the shelves on spirituality, he would say no amount of meditation is going to change your spiritual reality. That self-help book aisle is not going to change and increase your spirituality. 
Paul would, would say, even if someone changes their life and begins to devote themselves to doing things that are good, sin has already killed his or her spiritual life. The jar is broken, incapable of mending itself. In his words, we are dead in transgression and sin. And unfortunately, it gets worse. <laughs> if that wasn't bad enough. He goes on to write that we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Not only is the clay pot broken, and it can't fulfill its godly intended purpose, and there's no spiritual life there, but that person faces the wrath of God at the end of time. And every day a person lives in that state, without coming to Christ, is like playing Russian roulette. Frankly, I don't know why anyone does it. It's like putting the bullet in and spinning it. And I'm going to take today and I'm going to pull the trigger. You see, and if I don't die today, I win. But the day that I die, I'm going to encounter God. And we don't know when that's going to happen. And you know, the odds are on any particular day that, that none of us are going to die on that particular day. But every day to live without Christ is to spin that wheel one more time. To pull that trigger one more time to see, is today going to be the day? Is some drunk person going to come across the road and hit in my car and that's it? Or am I going to make it through the day? Oh, I made another day. Next day, I spin it again. I don't know why anyone lives that way. But Paul's message is not about something so depressing. His message is actually a very encouraging one. His focus is on the good news of God's power for the believer. And here's how he puts it. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even though we were dead in transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved. God's power for the believer is to take what is spiritually dead and make it spiritually alive. He takes what's broken and makes this. Whereas God's power raised up Christ physically to life, His power toward us who have believed raises us up from sin-soaked and destroyed lives so that we become spiritually alive with Christ. And to use our pottery imagery, what was irreparably broken now becomes whole and capable of fulfilling the purpose that God has for it. Why does God use his power in this way for human lives? Because God loves people that much. As Jesus taught when he walked upon this earth, hell was not made for people. It was created for Satan and his angels. It's prepared for what is vile and evil and what destroys. And the problem is, is that when sin invades our life, we die spiritually. And God cannot have fellowship with us with that sin. And so he must condemn that sin. And so, because God loves us so, he doesn't want to leave it in that situation. So his love caused him to provide a solution from certain danger. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. And so here Paul 
in these first three chapters is going to lay a foundation. And we're only looking at a little piece of it. But he lays the foundation about who God is, his plan, what he's doing. So that he can then talk about why you need to live a particular way. So how does this knowledge about God help us to live in the new year? How does Paul spending so much ink in these three chapters laying this foundation about God power toward the believer. How does that help us? Part of that answer is found just a few verses later. For we are His workmanship, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand so we may do them. God has made you and shaped you to be able to fulfill your purpose and living for Him. God has taken the broken shards and creates a whole canister capable of fulfilling its purpose. And if you belong to Christ, your spiritual life no longer is, is those shattered pottery. You have a real spiritual life. You're alive with Christ. And just as someone designed this and then made it, and it has a purpose Paul tells us that if you belong to Christ, then you too are God's workmanship. You are complete. You are God's workmanship. And that knowledge helps us in living life as we go into 2013. Remember what Paul wrote to the Christians in Philippi? It is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. God's at work through our lives. He wants to be. And knowing that God has prepared those who belong to Christ to do the good that He intends for them to achieve is very encouraging. And Christians can face the future, the unknown with confidence. Oh, one of the reasons is because of God's promises. Promises that begin with, you know, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. And the Christian has that and every day walks with God knowing that God is with them. And there's a sundry other promises that God has given. We've not even talked about those. But the other reason why we can approach the future, the unknown, with confidence and certainty, is because we can know that God has created us and made us new. And we can fulfill what He intends as His workmanship. If someone already belongs to Christ, Paul will, will counsel that person, you know, to be a really great vessel for the Lord, a really great piece of pottery for God, make sure you get rid of all the sin. Here's how he wrote it to Timothy. If someone cleanses himself of such behavior, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart, useful for the Master, prepared for every good work. You know, when you walked in this morning, perhaps you saw a small clue about this year's theme. Faithful. But did you notice the, the three small words below faithful? Student, steward, servant. Mark is going to be telling us and introducing this next week. Want to be a faithful servant in 2013? One way to get off to a great start is to attend the Servant's Heart Luncheon 
in just two weeks. At the luncheon, you can learn about a wide variety of ways to faithfully serve in 2013. We are His workmanship, created to do good works. And here at Mac, a number of ministries are coming together to say, look, here are some ways that you can be that servant, ways that you can serve God faithfully in 2013. And while there's no charge for a family to attend that luncheon, you do need to register by next Sunday. And so Paul will end this section, these first three chapters, where he's focusing on God and laying that foundation with these words. Here's how he ends it. Now to him who by the power that is working within us is able to do far beyond all that we ask or think, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. If you belong to Christ, Paul would encourage you to live this year for Jesus. Jesus who died for you and was raised again. And to be fully aware that you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that God has planned ahead of time. And Paul is going to describe some of these for us in chapter 4 and 5 and 6. And when we look there, we see love, show love, be, be seeking the well-being of those around you. Forgive. Forgive as, as God has forgiven you. He will talk about shining God's light in the darkness and to make the most of every opportunity. There's a calling that we have received and we need to live up to it. So Mac, as we go into this year, let's be fully aware that we know we are God's workmanship. And let's live up to the calling that He has given us and fulfill with who He wants us to be. But if this morning you are not yet in Christ. Paul would encourage you to stop merely thinking about relying upon Jesus and take the step to trust in Him. Because without Jesus, our lives are spiritually shattered. and We are dead without hope. But God did send Jesus to come and die for us to make it possible for us to live. And God will not force you to receive the gift of what He's offering but God invites you to rely upon His Son. To rely upon Him by being buried with Him in baptism and raised up with Him to the new life that He makes possible. A new life made possible through Christ. Have you been wanting to take the next step in your spiritual life? Well, it begins with what God does for you. Coming to Christ. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died for you and was raised again, and you're ready to make that commitment, that yes, I'm going to serve Him as Lord, this morning you can come, and you can be buried with Christ, and you can acknowledge Him, and you can receive what God's power does for the believer in taking your life and making it new. If there's any other re need, prayer request, we're going to have some shepherds down here. And why don't you come while we stand and sing? Oh, to Jesus' eyes.